We're going to play an old song, that, an old uh, game that you might remember on TV. It's called Name That Tune, all right? So we're going to play a few uh, just lines from a song, and as quick as you can, you tell me what the tune is. Can we go ahead and do number one? Where the treetops glisten. <laughs> you guys sound like murmurs. Okay. I'm what? What's the name of the song? And who is singing that? You guys are sharp. Okay, let's go to number two. Or the fields we go. Laughing. Oh, uh, who's that? Frank Sinatra, and the song is? Gee, you guys are sharp. Let's go and name the tune number three. <laughs> and what is that song? Anybody get it? Frosty the Snowman. You guys are good. Let's go to number four. Decorations of red. Who was that? And what was the song? You guys are good. And let's do one more together. Number five. Who's making a list and checking it twice? And what is that, April? <laughs> good job. Give April a hand for that one. She knocked that one out of the park. All right. Uh, today we go to um, one of the first Christmas songs ever written. We, we don't even know the tune any longer, but we do know the song. And it's called Zachariah's Song. Uh, back in Luke chapter 1 and 2, you've you got to sort of understand, you know, what's the, the setting of the song. I mean, God's people have gone through 400 years of absolute silence. After all the kings and prophets and judges and all the priests who have spoken, who have spoken for God, they've gone through these four centuries where God has been absolutely silent. They expected the Messiah to come and nothing's been coming from the voice of God. No revelation, no vision. And so when this song takes place, it's an explosion of praise. When finally, after all those years of silence, God speaks, the people around this event can't help but express it. And the best way to express it is in song. We, we all know that there are certain things that can't be expressed in just words. To hit, hit the deepest emotion, you've got to hit it in song. And so the silence is broken. Now let me, before we get to the song, let me tell you a little bit about the man behind the music, Zachariah. He's married to a lady named Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth was actually a priest's daughter. Now, the Bible says about this couple that they observed all God's commands and decrees. Now, listen to this word. Blamelessly. First thing I say about these guys is they were righteous. Zechariah is a very righteous man. Who among us could say they keep all the decrees and laws of God blamelessly? They could say that about Zacharias. He's a very righteous man. But add this to your list as you're taking notes. He's also childless. Now for us, that doesn't sound so shocking. But in that day, to say a man was righteous and childless sounded like a contradiction. If you're righteous, you're going to be blessed by God. And to not have children is to not have a legacy and to not be blessed by God. And so he's got a problem here. There was great shame involved in being childless. It actually, in Jesus' day, was valid grounds for a divorce. And so here's this righteous man, 
And, and we find out in the scripture here, him and Elizabeth are very old. They're very disappointed. They've had that collision of expectation of God and experience of life where they just don't match up. One sidelight you might mark today. Righteous people experience disappointment with God. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had. And then we see this incredible encounter. Now I told you Zechariah was a priest. There were about eighteen to 20,000 priests in Israel in that day. And, and twice a year you would take a rotation where you would go to, to Jerusalem and you would serve in the temple. And that was a pretty big deal. And every day they would have a lottery, a drawing, where one of the priests was selected to go close to the Holy of Holies. They would go to the holy place, to the curtain separating them from the Holy of Holies. And in that moment, they would offer up incense and prayers to God. And those prayers were about the coming Messiah and asking God to speak again. And, you know, one day... Zachariah wins the Powerball lottery and he is chosen to go. Now, once you've done it once, your name is taken out of the lottery. This is a once in a lifetime chance to take the incense and the prayers as close to God as you're going to get. And so he goes in there and he's praying and he's offering the incense and then he's surprised out of his boots because the angel Gabriel appears. And the Bible says that Zechariah was gripped with fear. Can you imagine? I mean, you've waited all your life for this moment. You go in there. You're going through the routine. You certainly don't expect to see anybody. You know all the stories of people who've been struck dead because they did the wrong things in the presence of God. And, and you're in there, and all of a sudden somebody appears, and it's Gabriel, and Zechariah is gripped with fear. Now, Gabriel quickly says, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. And then he said, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and many rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah. So he tells him about John the Baptist. Now, when Zechariah hears this, his response is, I'm an old man. How in the world is this possible? I mean, you know, we prayed about this for a long time, and it didn't happen, and we got pretty disillusioned, probably even stopped praying about it. And now you come to me to say, you know, you are going to have this baby. Don't you know, Gabriel, that I'm too old? And Elizabeth, she's not exactly a young chicken either. And it's, it's really interesting because the Greek language, it's very emphatic the way Zachariah says, I am old. And it's just as emphatic when Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. What's he saying? You looking for a sign? What more of a sign do you need than for God's top gun angel to appear to you? What's it going to take for you to believe this? And so um, he says, here's what we're going to do. 
you're not going to be able to speak because you did not believe my word. So, Zacharias has this encounter. Zachariah then goes out. Now, when, when the priest went in, everybody's sort of waiting for him to come out. There's a crowd gathered, and he stayed longer than you're supposed to stay. And when he comes out, he's struck dumb. He's supposed to come out and say the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. But again, he can't speak. And so when he comes out, they know something's going on. They recognize after 400 years of silence that God has spoken, that Zechariah has had some kind of encounter, some kind of vision. Now, why is Zechariah struck dumb, silent? Well, in some ways, I think it was a punishment. But in other ways, I think it was a moment for Zechariah to learn. He's an old man, and he needs to learn more. He needs to listen, learn to listen to God and reflect on what God has said. Because even when Gabriel speaks, he doesn't believe it. Now listen, one of God's great tools in our spiritual growth is a spiritual discipline we don't talk about a lot. Most of us are rather uncomfortable with it, which is the spiritual discipline of silence. It's to spend time before God, not speaking to God, just listening to God. It's a powerful thing. So proud of my daughter, Laura. Her and her husband, Charlie, live in Huntsville. And last weekend, I was talking to her after the end of the weekend. And she had organized among about 20 of her girlfriends what they called a silent retreat. Where you went on retreat for the whole weekend and you had very little words. You just spent time with the Lord listening. She also invited her sister, Lindsay. Which means someone failed on the retreat, all right? <laughs> It didn't work too well, all right? But it's a cool idea because the idea is in that period of silence and reflection, when you're not so busy going and listening and doing and watching TV, there's a moment that God can speak to you. And God says to Zechariah, you obviously have not been listening very well. I want you to listen better. I'm going to give you nine months of absolute silence. Now, here's the point I want to make here before we move on. Even older, righteous people need to grow. Do you get that one? Even older, righteous people need to grow. For many of us who walk with the Lord for a long time, let's be really honest, it is very easy to put things on cruise control. I mean, you've been a Christian for a few decades. You've been to lots of Bible classes, heard lots of sermons, you've had lots of encounters, and so it's really easy, like Zechariah maybe, to just sort of put things on cruise control. Or maybe somewhere in your life, there's been a major disappointment about something you thought God should do, and so you keep walking with God, but you're just sort of numb to His moving in your life. I ask you this morning, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, are you growing? As you look back on this past year, have you been listening to God? Or do you need to take nine months or nine weeks or maybe just at least nine minutes to just stop and shut down this Christmas season, get out of the malls, get out of the car, and just spend some silent time with God? Because just maybe there's something new that God wants to say to you and me. He wants you to grow. There's never a point in the Christian life where you've got enough knowledge. There's never a point where you've grown to the place where you can just shut it down. 
I love one of Francis Chan books where he talks about encountering a young lady speaking at a workshop and her worship obviously is just overwhelming and she loves to worship God. And Afterwards, Chan corners her and asks her, what is the key to your worship? She said, years ago, I learned not to ask God after a great worship experience to do it again. I used to always say, man, this has been powerful, God. Would you do it again? I learned to ask God something better. Lord, next time I encounter you in worship, would you do something new? And many of us, we need, you know, we need to stop reliving the same thing over and over spiritually. And we need to ask God to do something new in our life, to stretch us. That's one of the reasons I just love the older people of this church. Because I've watched you for 16 years be willing to stretch and to grow, to do things that make you uncomfortable, to allow this church to do things that maybe wouldn't be your choice if it was all up to you, that aren't the way you grew up in, in many of us in our tradition in churches of Christ. And you stretch and you've grown. It's never hit me more than last Sunday afternoon standing outside at a live nativity scene at a church of Christ. Now, some of you don't understand this, but we have a tradition of not celebrating Christmas. And it wasn't bad people who came up with that. They just knew the Bible never said December the 25th, and we weren't going to do anything it didn't say. The sad thing about that is that we never got around to celebrating Christmas. We never made a big deal about the coming of Jesus. And so last week, I'm standing out here, my goodness, we got animals, we got an angel, we got it all going out there, and I said to one of the elders, I said, do you remember when I moved here 16 years ago, and I asked you if we could put a Christmas tree in the foyer, and we had to have a major elders meeting about that? And now, my goodness, somebody let it slip into the worship center. Because we've come a long ways. And I want to say to you older people, thank you for that. Thank you for allowing this church, not just to break that tradition, but lots of traditions that really didn't make a lot of sense. Lots of traditions that held us back from being able to reach a community that needed Jesus. Thank you. And let me say to our older people, to all of us who've walked to the Lord, with the Lord for any period of time, we need to keep on growing and keep on stretching. God can bless that. Zechariah had to learn that. So, it's been silent. Zechariah has been listening to God in silence. And after nine months, let's look what happens. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Watch what happens. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, no doubt. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. That would make sense. They're childless after all this time. Man, Zechariah Jr. is obviously on the top of the list. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, Come on, Elizabeth. There's no one among your relatives who has that name. I'm not only are you not honoring your husband, but there's not anybody in your family that's ever gone by the name John. Then they made signs to his father, Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for his iPad. At, well, <laughs> it does say tablet, doesn't it? Hey, leave me, leave me alone. He asked for his writing tablet, and to everyone's establishment, he wrote, His name is John. Now look what happens. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. 
After nine months of God speaking to him and him listening and him reconnecting with God, his tongue is finally free and he can't help but praise God. And that's where we get to Zechariah's song. Look at this, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him and to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. While the rising sun will come to us from heaven and to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. My friends, that's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. It's a beautiful song. Let's look just a moment at the message inside the music. We've seen the man behind the music. Let's see the message inside the music. The key word in this song is the word that appears two times at the very beginning. It is the word come. It it, it literally means to personally visit, to visit personally. Guys, the Advent season, the Christmas season, is about celebrating this incredible, miraculous fact that God came to this earth in the form of a baby born to a virgin. John 1.14 puts it this way in the message translation. The Lord became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Can you imagine if God moved in as your next door neighbor? Would you watch him? Would you want to know what he's like? Would you want to see how he treated people? Would you want to see what he was about? Yes, you would. And that is the cool thing about God coming to this earth in Jesus, is that he moved into our neighborhood. He literally pitched his tent, that's what it means, among us. Philip Rakin, who writes a book called The Incarnation in the Gospels, The Incarnation in the Gospels, right? Salvation is not a human invention, but a divine visitation. It is not something that we achieve by going to God, but something God has done by coming to us in Christ. Do you realize this, guys? When you are lost and on your way to hell, God came for you. Many would argue today that the greatest event in human history is when we put a man on the moon. When man was able to go to the heavens. I think scripture would argue the greatest event in human history is not when man went to the heavens, but when God came to this earth. Let me give you some things that means. What's the message inside the music? Write these down. Christ's coming fulfills prophecy. I mean, he says in this, this goes all the way back to the promise given Abraham. The promise given the prophet Micah and Jeremiah and Isaiah. Understand this, my friends. One of the great proofs of who Jesus was, was that he fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. And Zechariah understands this. 
Oh, he's been silent for 400 years. We almost gave up on it. But now Zechariah knows all those prophecies about where he'll be born and where he'll be raised and how he will teach and how he will die and what will happen in his glorious resurrection. They're all going to be fulfilled. I like what the prophet Isaiah said. Oh, that you would open up the heavens and come down. Listen to me. God opened up the heavens and he came down. Christ's coming also provides salvation. There's lots of words used in this passage. Redemption, forgiveness, salvation. Listen, he wasn't just coming on a visit to see how we were doing. It wasn't just a friendly visit of a relative just to check us out. Listen, he knew how we were doing. We were doing awful. He knew that we were in trouble. He knew that we were locked in sin and doomed for hell. So it wasn't just a friendly visit. He was friendly. It was a purposeful visit. It was to bring us salvation. My friends, listen to me today. If you have never come to Christ, let me tell you this. He came to you so that you could be saved. Next point, Christ's coming gives us purpose. There's a line in that song that just sticks out in my mind. He would enable us to serve him without fear. You know how radical that was? You know why Zachariah is so freaked out by seeing Gabriel the angel? Because he's scared. He's scared what God may do. If you talk about encounter with God, we might say that'd be awesome. They think that would be awful. Because who knows what God may do. But when Jesus comes, we find out that we have, through the power of his blood, the ability to come before God without fear. And not just to come before God without fear, to serve him without fear. Listen to me. Not only did Jesus come to this earth to save you and to redeem you and to buy you back, he came to this earth to give you a purpose in life. Now listen to me. Your purpose in life is not simply to pay the mortgage. It's not simply to raise your children. It's not simply to do good at your job. It's not simply to save for retirement. It's not simply to follow your favorite sports team. Your purpose in life is much bigger than that. Not only did he save you, but he has commissioned you to be his very ambassador and voice on this earth. I ask you, are you living with purpose? Or too many of us who supposedly are following Jesus for decades, we do what everybody else does. The only thing different about my life is I come to church more than they do. Let me ask you, are you living life on a mission with purpose? He came to give you that. Your life would be a whole lot less boring if you get off some of these other things and get on a mission for God. Let me give you another thing. Christ's coming will be prepared by John. As you read this incredible song, what sticks out to me is the majority of the song is about Jesus. Despite the fact that John the Baptist is promised, and he is Zachariah's song, there's only two verses in the song, his son, there's only two verses in the song about John the Baptist. Now, here's what Zachariah understood. Zachariah understood that Jesus would be paramount and his son would be secondary. That Jesus would be paramount and his son would be subordinate. That it was really cool that him and Elizabeth were going to have a child. Now listen, back in the original language, 
where Gabriel says, God has answered your prayer. Now, I've always assumed he's saying God has answered your long-time prayer about having a baby. But the word there for answered your prayer there means he answered the prayer you've just prayed. What he just prayed? He had just prayed for the Messiah. And now Zechariah finds the coolest thing out. His son, that God has answered his prayer about, will be a part of something bigger than just being his son. He'll be a part of preparing the way for Jesus. And John understands. Maybe his dad taught him well. Because you remember that moment where John says about Jesus, he must what? Increase, but I must decrease. Listen to me, parents. Do not teach your kids that they are the best, the brightest, and the most wonderful. Do not teach your children that life is about them. One of the greatest disasters of the last few decades has been the child-centered home that says your child is what it's all about. My friends, your child needs to learn it's not about them, it's about Jesus. That the purpose of their life is not for them to bring glory to themselves, but for rather for them to reflect the very glory of God. That it's about Jesus. Remember that this Christmas season. Is this Christmas season going to be more about your child? Or is it going to be more about Jesus? Might be a good time to reteach that. And then one more point here. Christ's coming changes everything. It just changes everything. It's, a, it, it's, it's amazing, guys. And that's why I'm so thankful to be in a church where we do celebrate Christmas. Because I missed out on this growing up. I missed out on how awesome it is that Jesus had come into the earth and how this event of this baby being born in this manger just rocked the world. And here's the truth. It better rock my world. It better rock your world. Please, please, let's don't just have a little trite Christmas time here at church. Let's allow the coming of Jesus to rock our world the way it rocked Zachariah's world. Because listen to me, when Jesus came, it changed everything. Hope, listening to this song today, that you and I are reminded of how wonderful we have it, of what the coming of Jesus means in our lives, of what a radical change this makes. Alan goes back knowing that. The question is, will we walk out of here today and know that? I want to tell you the story behind another song before we we sing and give you a chance if you want to come to Jesus. We're going to sing a song that much like the song that Zechariah wrote that we really don't know the tune to. It's a song we do know the tune to. It's called Joy to the World. Let me tell you the man behind that music. His name was Isaac Watts. Isaac was a genius. At age four, he learned Latin. At age nine, he knew Greek. At 11, he knew French. And at 13, he could read Hebrew. He had one, though, hold back in his life. You see, he wasn't very good looking, and it didn't appear that he would ever find a wife. But there was a woman, ironically named Elizabeth Singer, who, wrote, who, who read his poetry and who actually fell in love with him. And sight unseen, she proposed to him by a letter. And he said yes. And then she shows up and she meets him. And she retracted her offer. 
Now listen, these are awful words. She writes, he's only five feet tall, with a shallow face, a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like color. And then she, she literally wrote this. I admired the jewel, but not the casket. Ooh, that's sad, isn't it? You know what Isaac Watts did with that rejection? He decided to spend the rest of his life glorifying God. He decided what he would do is spend the rest of his life writing poetry and writing songs that would point people to the most beautiful one of all, Jesus Christ. He never married. But even today, we sing a song and love this song. It was written back in 1718. And it says exactly what Zechariah was saying. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And so the question this morning is, are you full of joy in this season? Not because of the presence and all the busyness, but because of Jesus coming. And the big question is, will you receive him as king? I hope you'll learn from Zechariah that God did not open his mouth until he took a step out on faith. Until he took a tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And then God opened his mouth and he praised God forever. And I say to you today, that God is not going to be able to save you and bless you until you step out on faith and not write the name of John, but confess the name of Jesus. And then all the blessings of God will be yours. Today, as we sing this wonderful hymn, could we be reminded that the coming of Jesus changes everything. And if it needs to change your life today, why don't you come while we stand together and sing?